Welcome to SNAP, survivors of narcissistic and abusive personalities. This educational recovery podcast is presented by Claremont Mental Health and Mandy Friedman, licensed professional clinical counsellor. This presentation contains vital information for survivors of abuse. Topics include the spectrum of abusive personalities, targets of abuse, abusive relationships, and survivors in recovery. We hope this information helps you gain solid footing and clarity as you navigate your road to recovery. licensed professional clinical counselor, clinically certified domestic violence counselor, and as a recently clinically certified trauma professional and the creator of SNAP, Survivors of Narcissistic and Abusive Personalities, the owner of Claremont Mental Health. And today we're here with Daniel Ellis, who has been training with me for the past nine months. Dan has been observing my sessions for nine months now. No one's ever observed my sessions before. He's the only person who's ever been in session to observe what SNAP counseling is like and what what it's like to work with SNAP clients. Um, and so therefore that makes him the most highly trained SNAP counselor at our practice besides myself. Um, and I am sending all the SNAP clients his way since my, um, my client base is totally full, don't have any more room to see new people, unfortunately, but Dan has been trained and is ready <laughs> to see SNAP clients at this time. So. I thought it'd be really great for Dan to join us for a video today, and we're going to talk about what to expect from SNAP counseling. Like, what's our job like treating clients who are experiencing narcissistic abuse or have experienced narcissistic abuse? And then also, you know, what's it like for us? What are the things that we're focusing on as we're working with these clients? Does that sound good, Dan? Do you think that's interesting for people? I think that sounds like a plan. I think so. All right. So let's start off with what we do in the beginning, which is we're doing some assessment. We're asking a lot of questions. We're trying to figure out what's going on in the client's life right now, what their quality of life is. Um, we're, we're asking questions about basic needs and well-being and sleep, um, what their home environment is like. And we're also finding out, finding out about a history of the of trauma, potentially um, a history of abuse in the client's past. So we're going to be talking about those sorts of things. Um, what has that been like for you, Dan, this assessment process? You used a metaphor a second ago, which was that it's almost like there's a building that the client is like in a building that's on fire. And we're trying to determine how bad the fire is, where the fire is located, where are they in relationship to the fire, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I kind of felt like we were like mental health firefighters in a way, like kind of like figuring out where people are at, like in the burning building, like how much trauma they've experienced, where they're at presently in their life, how much fire, where is the fire? And do you have any fire detectors or smoke detectors in the home and maybe helping to helping them to like implement like fire exit strategies and you know being able to identify where they're at exactly and that's part of us building rapport because we're getting to know the client but also that's our way of trying to determine um, where the person is in their process and therefore knowing where they are knowing their circumstance then we know which tools to offer that would be the most helpful. 
Um, so that's why we kind of spend a lot of time um, listening to stories about what's going on, listening to stories about the past. We spend time getting to know you first before we start really getting um, directive in what now, what do we do next, right? Because we kind of need to collect all that data first so that we know how best to treat you. Um, then after we're doing assessing and within the assessing is risk assessment, right? So if this is a situation where uh, the, the person who's abusing you has a violent tendency or they're just starting to show violent tendencies, we can talk about that and where you are in terms of risk and your kids and family and so on and so forth, your belongings, um, all of that, what people are likely to do or not likely to do in certain situations. Um, and then the next thing that happens, and it's a lot of it, is education, or what we call psychoeducation. It's pretty much just education. I don't even know why we just, can't it just be education? Why do we have to say psychoeducation? It makes it sound like, I don't know. Anyway. It's more serious. Yeah, way more psychoeducation. It's just education. You're just learning. And, and our clients are, are perfectly capable of understanding the concepts that we are taught as counselors. So we, we kind of relate to our clients as peers in a sense that you're not, I mean, I'm not smarter than you. Um, I just happen to have an education and some life experience that I can use to help other people, but you could easily have learned the things that I learned. So why not pass that knowledge on to our clients? Um, so we're very approachable in that way. Dan, did that surprise you at all that, um, that I talk in session a lot about um, mental health concepts, especially related to the neurobiology of trauma and things of that nature? Were you surprised to hear that when you first started observing? A little bit, I guess. I didn't realize that was more part of talk therapy, but it, uh, it I mean, it, it totally makes sense. Our our brain is an organ. Our brain needs to be healthy and it, it affects our whole body. Our, yeah. To not uh, think of the brain and mental health as being connected, I think we'd be doing a, a vast disservice to our clients. Exactly. Um, so in the education part is the SNAP classes. And the SNAP classes right now are currently under renovation and we're creating a professional video series. Um, but in the meantime, we have links to previously recorded live classes. But the SNAP classes are geared to um, inform people about abusive personalities, targets of abuse, abusive relationships, and most importantly, healing and recovery, survivors in recovery from abuse. Um, and how do we do that? How do you heal? How do you um, have new relationships? What's a healthy relationship? What's a healthy person? Like, do we even know? Some people, we don't because we never experienced a healthy relationship. Our parents didn't have a healthy relationship. So what does it even look like, right? So the SNAP topics that we wind up talking about in the session is part of the educational process. And we teach our clients about CPTSD. We teach our clients about the brain, like I, like I said before. Dan, what do you think that is maybe one of the most important things that we teach the client about? Probably that they have the ability to walk away from a situation. I, I think gray rocking is probably one of the most important techniques that we teach them. I, I like to try to think of it as like, like when you're in an argument or when there's a conflict, it's like having like, like fire or something. And 
you're holding that fire. And when you're gray rocking, you're leaving that fire away. You're walking away from a fire and not being burned. So sorry for all the fire metaphors and references are. Hey, plenty of people feel like the house is on fire even when it's not. And sometimes I just, sometimes I just want to burn it down, <laughs> get it going, you know, right? So we're here to help. So it's a good metaphor. I love it. Yeah, so teaching people strategies basically for navigating their circumstance, one of those strategies being gray rock um, and teaching people how to not engage in conflict. Um, so in that, we're helping people find their rational mind, right? So people who are being abused or have been abused tend to operate out of a part of the brain that is our amygdala, which is the, the trauma, the anxiety, right? That's where we're feeling nervous, um, we're anxious, um, angry perhaps, um, worried. When you're having a panic attack, that's what's going on, that's coming from that part of your brain. But when we're, when we're focusing, and when our brain is, is focused in that area, it means that the thinking, logical, rational part of our mind isn't online exactly. So one of the things that we're teaching clients to do is to be able to notice when, okay, I'm triggered, what, that, what does that mean? That means my amygdala is in charge. Um, all right, now here's a strategy for grounding and coping that can help me bring the thinking rational part of my mind back online. I'm trying to think of a strategy that we teach. Dan, can you help me? What are some of the ways that we help people get their logical, rational mind back online? Identifying self-care, I think that's the most important one to, to de-escalate and walk away from whatever stressful situation when the time is, you know, appropriate and uh, having that reflective self-care time to give our chance, give our brain the chance to like recharge and like reheal, whether that be a nap, proper sleep, it could be anything for anyone. I think that that's probably one of the most exciting parts that I've gotten to experience of counseling to be totally honest with you is getting to see someone and develop like a treatment plan for someone that's like totally tailored to them to have someone realize like wow if I just take like a little 20 minute walk you know at the end of a day or like wait a hot shower is part of self-care this is wonderful like yes yes yeah. it is right so the assessment part, getting to know the client, what's their circumstance, what are possibilities, what's doable for them, what's not doable for them, and then crafting, like you said, a treatment plan, suggestions, coping strategies, navigation strategies that is specifically tailored to their situation. You're, you're so right about that. Um, while narcissistic abuse and narcissists and targets of abuse and abusive relationships all have a lot in common, they do, but everyone's circumstance is unique. Um, and our traumas make us unique too, where one person might be sort of triggered by something that another person wouldn't be triggered by. There are some people that I'm saying, okay, let's do some, uh, let's do some deep breathing. And maybe somebody, when they think about deep breathing, starts to get anxious. And it's like, I, uh, and now I can't breathe at all because I'm overthinking while I'm breathing, right? maybe deep breathing isn't the right method for that person. Maybe we need to try something different. Um, so I agree with you. I, I really agree with you about that, making sure that we're looking at everyone as a unique entity and their situation as being unique as well. Um, okay, so we're finding our rational mind. 
We are learning specific strategies and Dan just mentioned gray rock, um, self-care and prioritizing self-care. Um, there's also grounding techniques that sort of changes your brain chemistry for the moment, including, you know, putting your hand in a big old bowl of ice water and letting your hand get real super cold. That's going to change your brain chemistry. Um, sprinting up the block really fast, you know, that's going to change your brain chemistry. Um, and, and when people realize, like what Dan is saying, when people realize, oh, that's doable. I can do that. And I did notice that I stopped feeling what I was feeling. And now I'm thinking about this other thing. Oh my gosh, it works. And then you see this sort of like relief come over the person. And then for us, it's like, yay, I help them feel better. And all of this is worth it. <laughs> I'm actually helping someone, you know? Okay. So that feels good for us. And um, we also are helping people clean up the messes. What do I mean by cleaning up messes, Dan? Do I mean literal messes? Well, sometimes actually, yeah. if, if, if that is the case, some, sometimes that might be uh, meeting the person where they're at in their life and assessing what exactly said mess is, whether that mess might be their mental state uh, leading into going out in a social situation or whether that mess might be a literal mess in their front room or something like that, that they might be avoiding for whatever reason, just addressing what their mess is and helping them clean it, giving them the tools to uh, A lot help. of times we're helping them clean up someone else's mess too. Then there's that <laughs> time, actually, now that you mention it. Like, yes, this is totally unfair. Yes, this is, this is not your fault. But here we are, and this is the circumstance, and we're going to have to, you know, work with the cards we're dealt. One thing that we notice about abusive relationships, narcissistic people, narcissistic abuse, is that there's rarely justice. There's rarely justice, and there's rarely ever an acknowledgement of exactly who was responsible for what, and a lot of times the targets or the survivors are the ones that are left with the lingering messes to clean up. I would also categorize um, removing toxic people, um, reducing exposure to toxic environments, um, <clears throat> to set boundaries in areas where we're lacking boundaries would be an example of cleaning up a mess. So basically we're just trying to figure out where the problems are and how we can fix them and making adjustments to our own behavior as to how we navigate relationships and what we agree to. We're a lot pickier now. Um, we have a planned pause before we agree to something. We, we need more time to contemplate. And then we're allowed to say no without explaining. I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. Ah, I'm supposed to say something else after that. Like, oh, it's because this, and I thought this, and then I was wrong. And so I tried this and then it, when I thought this one, but then I just went ahead and da, 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 you know how we do explaining why I'm saying, well, I was, and I hope that I could do this instead. And then you wind up like committing to something else that like, no, just say no in a kind, warm way, walk away. <laughs> it's okay. It's hard to do. Right. So this is what we're helping you with. All right. So next after cleaning up the messes comes my favorite part, which is Building our bubble. What do I mean by building our bubble? Thinking of ourselves as a person, thinking of ourselves as like a whole person and not like half a person or like giving ourselves to people who aren't more worthy of our time. Like 
establishing where those boundaries are at and kind of like encapsulating ourselves and knowing where our deal breakers are and yeah. I, yeah, so the bubble is gonna be your new healthy life. And sometimes it starts really, really small, like maybe it's your car and you play music that makes you happy or makes you relaxed. Maybe you put something that smells really nice in your car. Um, maybe you listen to books on tape in your car that you really like or audio versions. Nobody looks, listens to books on tape. Why do I keep calling it that? It's not, it's, they're just audio versions of a book. There are no tapes for, <laughs> right? But it, whatever it is that you do in your car, um, a lot of people are doing therapy in their car these days because they don't have privacy in the house. So they go out to the car for their sessions, but it could be a shelf. It could be that, you know, you're a teenager and the only thing that's yours is a shelf in the room. Okay. We'll make that shelf something that makes you feel happy or makes you, or reminds you that, that you can remain hopeful. Then as we make decisions, micro decisions, major decisions, as we're engaging in recovery, we're sort of that bubble gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So like what Dan was saying, you know, now we're setting boundaries. Now we're saying to this person, no. So we're sort of clearing out this space where we are now free to be ourselves and we are free to um, examine our issues. It, it's a safe place for us to learn who we are or get to know ourselves again. Um, and then after we've built our bubble, and that means your environment, your immediate environment at home, um, things that you can do at work even, um, and with relationships as well. Like we're not letting people super close to us that aren't healthy for us anymore. But just like I always say, when setting boundaries, setting a boundary is not the hardest part of setting boundaries. What's the hardest part of setting boundaries? Is keeping that boundary... Maintaining the boundary is the hardest part of setting boundaries. And, and what's funny about empathic survivors is that, you know, it's hard enough to set the boundary for us. We're like, okay, I can do it. I'm going to say the thing. All right. I got to, all right, let me look at my notes again. All right, here I go. You know, and you're like getting yourself up to set this boundary. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm setting a boundary with someone that I really love, like I will just start crying. <laughs> I have no idea why. I'm just like, I'm sorry, I can't do that thing. And they're like, it's okay. I'm like, I know, but right. So it, it sucks. We don't like having to do it, but we have to. Um, but, but then it's like, okay, I did it. I set the boundary, Mandy. I set the boundary. I'm like, great, awesome. Um, and then a week later, it's well, um, <laughs> you move back in, <laughs> or you know, and, and it's like, okay, it's really hard to say no over and over and over again. Maintaining the boundary, hold the line, hold the line. That's the hardest part, but it is the most important part, and that's how we protect our bubble is by doing things like that. You know, you build the bubble and then you protect it at all costs for the most part. I mean, I'm pretty serious and protective of my bubble, very much so. We have to be selective about what we allow in that area because that's really what we're, that's our safe place that we're building for ourselves. Um, so yeah, all right. So we assess, we educate, we find our rational mind, we learn specific strategies, we clean up messes, we build our bubble and then we protect our bubble. But I think 
what might be interesting for people to hear about too would be what is it like for us as the counselors working with clients who are experiencing narcissistic abuse? Dan, can you kind of, you know, explain to people what, what it's like from, from your chair? You know, what, what is it, what happens with you while you're helping someone? It amazes me that people are as strong as they are after experiencing all the trauma and all the abuse that they've been through to, to be so strong, to come forward, to, to share their stories, to share that what happened to them, to, to relive those experiences and be, yeah, be strong enough to, to look at what happened to them, to assess the wound and not, you know, be an ostrich about it and, you know, let it scar over and have them be limping the rest of their life. It, it takes a lot of strength to, to address what's going on and to, to be factual and rational with things and uh, just experiencing clients sharing their stories like that is, uh, it's always moving. It's, uh, it just makes me want to help more. And I didn't think that was possible. So thank you clients. Yeah. Yeah, our clients inspire us most definitely. And oh, I could not agree more. I, I, I'm so impressed with people all the time. Like, you're amazing. You know, you've, done, you've been through this, 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 you've done this and look at you go and you're still going and you're still trying. And it's, it, it takes so much energy and dedication and, man. but I think that's why we call them survivors. That's why we're survivors, right? Because the circumstances are such that for some people, it destroys them completely um, and they don't have an opportunity to find help or to get better. So, so many times I feel like our clients in a way, if they're able to, you know, latch on to the process and actually walk the walk of recovery and then getting to see them in their new life with their new relationships with their you know their new intimate partner now and they're they're doing the deal like it's, it's happening now that is such a rewarding thing to experience with a client um man is is seeing how they've developed as an individual and being so impressed so impressed and of course because i'm a woman i identify with women something that I'm constantly thinking is, man, moms are awesome. Dads are awesome too. <laughs> Dads are awesome too. <laughs> but as a mom, you know, I can put myself in a mom's shoes probably more than a dad maybe. And I don't know, but I'm always thinking to myself, moms are badass, you know, uh, just super impressed with people regularly for sure. So you have carved out your bubble and you have protected your bubble, now we're gonna grow that bubble. And what does that mean? I'll give you some examples. Who cuts your hair and what do they talk about while you're getting your hair cut? <laughs> right? Do you not really like that situation for some reason? Every time you go to get your hair cut or every time you go to the doctor, you feel kind of weird there and not really accepted or, right? So when we're built, when we're really expanding the bubble, that means we're making more decisions as we're able, because a lot of people don't have choices in the matter, right? We get what we have, but for some people, when you do have a choice, then you might make an adjustment. So um, all the people that are on your care team, a lot of us have medical conditions as the result of experiencing high stress and trauma. So who treats you? 
And do you like them? And do they listen to you? And do you like going there? Uh, so to me, expanding the bubble means that you are still crafting and, and fine tuning the quality of life, the day-to-day -day life by making little decisions. What does growing the bubble mean to you, Dan? Kind of expanding on what the client feels comfortable with and having that like gradually like and naturally uh, enlarging. Like if, you know, eventually the client's gonna feel comfortable with themselves and they're gonna wanna have different experiences in life and do different things. And it's really rewarding to kind of uh, have the client uh, feel a sense of like freedom in a way and a sense of like independence. Like, yes, I can do this. I have, I am a whole human being. I'm gonna go garden today if I want to. I'm gonna go to the store and buy whatever food I want to today because I am an adult. Like finding what that means for every single person. I, I feel, and you know, that's a unique thing to each and every individual. It really is. Okay, well, I hope that this video has helped you gain an understanding of what SNAP counseling is, what it's like, the things that we can help you with, the kinds of topics that are gonna come up, and you know, the natural course of SNAP counseling um, in terms of different stages that you'll go through. Remember, we're assessing, and then we're cleaning up messes, and then we're building our bubble, right? Um, so there's, there's a method to it. And soon the SNAP classes will finally be in a, a professional video version that will have that to offer you. But until that time, please be sure to reach out to us directly with any questions that you have. And hey, if you have a topic that you'd like us to do a video about, shoot us an email because we'll do it, won't we, Dan? Absolutely. We will absolutely do that video. So shoot us some ideas. And Dan, thanks so much for putting yourself out there and recording this video with me today. And also thank you so much for being such an amazing addition to our practice. And I've thoroughly enjoyed having you as a, a counseling partner and trainee in my sessions. I've seen you grow and I have so much confidence and respect for you. Um, so I'm really happy that you're here and that's about it. Don't forget to like, and subscribe. Counselors need affirmation too, don't we? Yeah. Absolutely. Like and subscribe. <laughs> Is that being needy? Nah. Bye. If you like this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review. Find Mandy Friedman, LPCC, CCDVC on YouTube and Facebook. Join the SNAP Survivors of Narcissistic and Abusive Personalities Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at the official SNAP. Thanks for listening.